0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Today, I'm joined by the lead author of a new perspective article. Brooke Nichols, Ph.D., is an assistant professor of global health in the Department of Global Health at Boston University School of Public Health. She is also affiliated with the Health Economics Epidemiology Research Office in Johannesburg, South Africa. Dr. Nichols and her team developed a novel and pragmatic metric to evaluate and compare pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PREP, program effectiveness using routine implementation data. Their proposal was recently published in The Lancet HIV. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Nichols. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. To start, can you tell us more about your metric and how it came about? Yeah, definitely. So...
1: I think how the metric came about is really quite an interesting story
0: because initially I was involved
1: in a lot of mathematical modeling of the use of PrEP for HIV prevention. So as far back as 10 years ago, we've been modeling PrEP cost-effectiveness using these math models. But recently, PrEP has now been actually integrated into national guidelines in, in several countries in Sub-Saharan Africa. And so my colleagues and I are really interested in evaluating the actual cost-effectiveness of different ways PrEP has actually been implemented in real life, and to do this empirically. So instead of using math models, we actually want to be able to measure something. And We realized that while we could look at the cost part of this pretty easily, there is actually no agreed upon measure of effectiveness. And when we look at PrEP effectiveness, it's generally only measured through modeling of expected outcomes or modeling of risk of patients that we expect. We can't actually know what someone would have done without PrEP, of course, the counterfactual, or through randomized clinical trials. And these are really the only ways that so far that we can figure out how to measure PrEP effectiveness. And there's also been a lot of discussion in the academic community about looking at total PrEP load or the number of person months on PrEP in a community, which could be meaningful, but I, my colleagues and I, we really felt we were lacking a, a true measure of good program effectiveness of PrEP. Because if you, know, you have a thousand people in your program, and they all take PrEP for one month, is that really a successful outcome? It, it might have some effect on the epidemic and, and certainly for those individuals that were protected for a month. But is that what we're aiming to achieve with a program? So that's sort of where we came together, all my co authors and I, from all different sectors. So we have researchers. In South Africa and Zambia, and members of government in Zambia and South Africa, and some prep um, experts throughout the world, in the Netherlands and in the U.S., to actually come together to try to agree upon what we thought should be a good way to measure prep program effectiveness. So that's where it all started.
0: Great. What individual components comprised your metric?
1: This is what the co-authors and I we all debated quite hotly, and so it took us a while to to come to agreement. But first. Three criteria. First, a person who initiates PrEP should not zero convert. So this is the primary point of PrEP that we are preventing HIV. And so we say that during a specific follow-up time, so we, we set a year in the paper. So during this year that a person is on PrEP, they should not zero convert in that year for PrEP to be successful. Second, there should be no more than one period at high risk of HIV infection during the follow-up period when the person was not taking PrEP. And so this is more the idea of if someone has just lost a follow-up or just doesn't return, we can't assume that that happened because they changed their risk behavior and that they're no longer at risk. Now we actually have no evidence that their risk has changed. So this is essentially to account for if someone just disappears out of PrEP care. And this is tied to the third criteria, is that an individual should continue to attend their healthcare visits throughout that year, or if they discontinue PrEP, that they should do so in consultation with the healthcare provider. Again, this is all within a specified period of time. So that would mean that if I wanted to stop using PrEP, that before I just stopped and didn't come back to the clinic, I would have a conversation with my provider where we talk about different ways that I can you know, if my risk has changed or if there's other ways I wanna use to prevent HIV going forward, just to make sure that, you know, if I discontinue PrEP because people have different seasons of risk, different times when they think they might be at risk, that we wanna make sure for a program to be successful, that we're not just letting people disappear and saying that that's okay.
0: Building on that, how would you ensure that you don't lose anyone to follow up? And if you do, how do you propose getting them back into care? Well, that is an excellent question. And I don't think we're there yet.
1: I think it's important for providers to have a conversation early on about, you know, when a person starts prep. To make sure that the provider can communicate that if a person wants to stop PrEP or they have these seasons of risk or periods where they might not want to be in PrEP, that they should have a conversation with the clinician. Everyone will stop PrEP at some point. This is not a lifelong thing. That when you want to stop PrEP to make sure that you know you talk to us first, then we can come up with other solutions that, that meet your needs. And I think what that looks like in practice will vary drastically based on the setting. So in the United States, it might look extremely different than this would look in Zambia or South Africa. And also making sure that we're not being too onerous on the patient will be important. So programmatically, I mean, if you can achieve this with a phone call or a phone consultation so that especially in places in, in rural Zambia or South Africa where patients have to travel quite a distance to be able to access these services that we don't want to put extra burden on them to stop something when they when their risk has changed. So we do need to come up with creative solutions to make sure that you know that we're not just abandoning our prep clients when they've started with us and they don't come back. We need to ensure that they still have support because we have agreed upon that this person that starts prep has ever been at risk or is was at risk when they started and we need to make sure that we're still supporting them going forward and I yeah, I do wonder if we can sort of change how we think about how this discontinuation of PrEP during changes in risk should look. But I do think making it telephonic consultations could be one solution. And I'm sure implementers have a lot of other ideas about how that could look and how that would look in the U.S. might also be very
0: different, but it's a place to start. Absolutely. I think the support aspect is very important, too. Moving on now, let's talk a little bit about how you intend to use the metric and how you anticipate it to perform.
1: So this is also a very good question. So this article is actually a viewpoint of how we intend to implement and evaluate PREP programs going forward to sort of set the baseline and start the conversation with people about how how we think we should be evaluating PREP programs. So this was sort of to assert this is this is how we intend to be evaluating programs, at least in our studies in Zambia and South Africa, um, and just to make sure that we, you know, to make sure that if people disagree, that we can do so in sort of a public forum instead of behind closed doors. To make sure that we are, we can all agree upon a, a metric to evaluate these programs. So I hope that this will at least start the conversation, or people, you know, if people agree, that that would also be great, of course. So we will start to actually use these metrics now in in both first and South Africa, actually. So we will get to see firsthand how our metric performs. And I can actually, I hypothesize that it won't, that programs won't look terribly successful, I'm afraid. Just because I think that the issue of discontinuation without contact with the provider, I think that that happens very frequently. So I can't say how much yet, but I think this is something that we're going to have to focus our programs on to make sure that that support continues, that there's still some contact with the provider even when a person has stopped coming for PrEP renewals. So programmatically, I think that's something that we will have to be focused on because, we, of course, if all of our programs, if we evaluate using this metric and all programs perform zero out of one, that's not a good sign. But also because we've been working with government and implementation, Uh, People on the ground that hopefully we can, you know, start to say how it's performing and use it as a direct feedback and say, You know, this is how we had set out to evaluate program effectiveness and this is how it's happening and then in real time really be able to Think about ways we can change the programs to make sure that the effectiveness improves. So hopefully it can be also feedback to implementers.
0: How do you hope this feedback can be used to translate your findings from abroad to the United States? I think that these
1: evaluations in both South Africa and Zambia or just this idea behind the metric in general is in sort of the parallel for regardless of where you are in the world, is that to make sure that when someone starts PrEP, to make sure that they know that if they want to discontinue PrEP, they have to have that consultation with the provider I know it's so easy to lose people. And of course, physicians are extremely busy. And I I mean, honestly, I don't know what it's like to work in the U.S., but I can imagine that there's a a lot of things to do, but to set up some systems in advance to make sure that, that we don't lose our PrEP clients and to make sure they're still engaged with care. And of course, this could all look different if we look at different ways to implement PrEP in the future. You know, if there's in the future injectable PrEP or if PrEP is dispensed, in pharmacies or over the internet, as we know it happens sometimes as well, that people can access PrEP online by ordering for themselves, that this could all also look very different um, depending on how PrEP is provided and how people are accessing PrEP. But if someone is in care, in clinical care in the US and they've gotten PrEP from from a physician, then to make sure we're not losing them. Um, And I think that'll be the same in the US or in Zambia or South Africa, even if you're not, Evaluating prep programs per se as you would in sub-Saharan Africa, but in the US, the the message of making sure we're not losing our prep clients would stay the same. And I think this is also I've seen some literature of the high rate of HIV positivity among people who report current use of prep and that was worrying just because, you know, i assume that people have been have been lost from prep programs might still sort of be on PrEP but not in consultation with providers and then find out that they're positive, either because they had a period of risk where they were not covered with PrEP, but we don't know. So I think strengthening these programs is essential. And I know that care in the U.S. is quite disjointed, but I think it's definitely somewhere we need to look to in the future to strengthen.
0: Absolutely. So overall, what would you say is your key take-home message for our listeners? So from this,
1: I think that we need to make sure that we are comparing the, the effectiveness of PrEP programs uniformly so that we can compare programs. So if that's in the US or that's abroad, that that is essential. Just so that we know, you know, if we're doing these outreach programs, is it effective, is it not effective? If you know, it's just central primary care, is that effective? If it's at an STD clinic, STI clinic, um, is that an effective way to provide PrEP? That as long as we're all measuring PrEP in the same way, That we can actually start to tease out what works and what doesn't um, for what subpopulations and so that was that is definitely the take-home message of of our study is that we should all be evaluating our programs in the same way so we can do some really nice comparisons and hopefully improve our programs going forward Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely thank you again for speaking with me today and sharing your insight on your novel metric thanks
1: for giving me the opportunity to talk about
0: it